scripture readers would come up. Remember this portion of the story of God as it is written in the book that we love from Genesis chapter 37. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock when his, uh, with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a multicolored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. And so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream which I have had, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheep rose up and stood erect, and behold, your sheaves gathered and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us, or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, he still had another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Then his brothers went to the pasture of their father's flock in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock, and bring word back to me. So he, went, so he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. A man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, what are you looking for? He said, I am looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. Then the man said, They have moved from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. When they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Now then, Come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say, A wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, Let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of the tunic, the multicolored tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead 
with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the multicolored tunic and brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for him many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him into Egypt, in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. The word of the Lord. Realized, figured it out this week, take a look at the calendar, that I will not have enough time to preach all of the rest of Genesis before I retire. So I'm going to skip forward to one of the best stories in Genesis, and it's skipping forward two generations uh, to the closing chapters of Genesis and the story of Joseph and his brothers. But let me summarize quickly the chapters that I'm skipping. God finally gave Abram the son that he promised him, and the son's name was Isaac. In addition to that, he gave Abram twin grandsons. Esau was the oldest, and Jacob was the youngest. Because Esau was the oldest, he was heir to the family fortune and to the covenant that God had made with Abram. Jacob was the younger, but his mother conspired with him to trick Isaac, his father, into blessing Jacob instead of his older twin, Esau. Infuriated and shamed, Esau sought to kill Jacob, so Jacob fled the country. He escaped with nothing but his life to his uncle Laban back in Haran, which is the city that Abram lived in for many years with his father, and then God called him out of Mesopotamia into Canaan. So that's where Jacob went back to. There, Jacob fell in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel, and agreed to work for Laban seven years in exchange for her hand in marriage. Jacob worked the seven years, claimed his wedding reward, 
But instead of marrying Rachel, Laban got him drunk and tricked him into marrying Rachel's sister, Leah, instead. You couldn't write this on TV and get away with it. <laughs> Laban then allowed Jacob to marry Rachel as well in exchange for another seven years of shepherding Laban's flocks. Laban also agreed to pay Jacob a percentage of the herd that Jacob managed. And he tried to stack the deck so that Jacob, though Jacob would have to say that his father was giving him opportunity, it wouldn't really work out that well for Jacob. Nonetheless, God intervened and God blessed Jacob. And Laban unwittingly and unwillingly made it possible for Jacob to become a wealthy man in his own rights. Yet Jacob did still skillfully increase the wealth and the flocks of his deceitful uncle, Laban, nonetheless. But Jacob always hated Leah, and he loved Rachel. Further, he had no love for the sons he had with Leah, and favored the two sons that he had with Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph was the golden boy whom Jacob doted on, especially after losing his beloved Rachel as she gave birth to his final son, Benjamin. The legacy of animosity and dysfunction was as much Jacob's inheritance to his sons as the covenant that God made with him. As evangelicals, when we are asked, American evangelicals anyway, when we are asked, how do we make the choices that we make? What, what guidelines do we look for? In that conversation, what frequently comes up with is biblical family values. And ironically, the Old Testament is an illustrated catalog of family dysfunction and lunacy. And, and you will find for every family that looks like maybe it turned, around, uh, turned out all right, first of all, we don't hear much about those families. We don't hear much about Ruth and Boaz's family. We can imagine that that was a healthy family because of the way Booth, R Ruth and Boaz treated each other and those around them before they got married. But we have so few families that seem to display the very values that we, th we call biblical and want to live on our own life, and certainly Jacob's family. Jacob's family was full of dysfunction and animosity, and this was the family through whom God was going to bless the whole world. Even the very dreams, the prophetic dream of how God was going to use Joseph was was turned into a weapon against his brothers to gain favor with his father and to place himself above his brothers and his family. In the story that we heard today, first, verse 2, we read that 17-year-old Joseph brings a bad report of his brother's shepherding to Jacob. Now, the word translated bad report is the Hebrew word debal. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but we'll go with that. In every instance that a person debaws in the Old Testament, it reflects as badly on the one giving the report as the one the report is on. In other words, it denotes gossip, slander, and half-truths told with an axe to grind. 
Joseph was trading the reputation of his brothers for his father's favor, as if he needed to. Jacob loved Joseph more than all of Leah's sons put together, and he gave him a symbol of his favor, a multicolored tunic that looked just like that one. <laughs> Verse 4 tells us that this increased the brothers' hatred for Joseph to the point that they couldn't even have a polite conversation with him anymore. To make matters much worse, Joseph had two dreams implying that God had chosen Joseph, that God had chosen Joseph as his favorite above his brothers as well as Jacob, their father. In the first dream, Joseph and his brothers are harvesting wheat into bundles, but the bundles the brothers tie bow down to the bundle that Joseph tied. In verse 8, we read, chapter 37, verse 8, it says, Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. The second dream, if that wasn't enough, was so outrageous that even Jacob rebuked Joseph. Joseph saw that the sun and the moon, representing his father and his deceased mother, and the 11 stars, representing his brothers, were all bowing down to him. At this, the hatred of his brothers forms into a hardened, Resolve into a jealousy that rules everything that everything in their relationship with their younger brother. Now, jealousy can even take a loving relationship and poison it beyond recognition. It can take something good and turn it into something dead. But it will take jealousy will take a contentious relationship and focus the hatred in it, like a lens focuses the light of the sun into a shaft of white, hot rage. And that's what happened here. When Jacob, when Jacob sent Joseph to check up on his brothers out in the field, many miles from home, his brothers, by the time he got there, were ripe for revenge. They recognized Joseph from afar, because of the tunic. Oh, here comes tunic man. <laughs> the dreamer that we'll all be bowing down to. They recognized Joseph, so they had plenty of time to plot their revenge. All of them were ready to murder Joseph, except for Reuben. And I wondered about that. Reuben was the oldest of all of Jacob's sons. Reuben, we are told in another story that it didn't cover, had already vented his rage on his father, Jacob, by sleeping with Jacob's concubine, Bilhah. This wasn't just an act of, of adultery. It was an act of insult to his father. Reuben knew that revenge rarely brings the relief or the closure that we think it will. And killing a brother is a very serious escalation in the revenge game. 
So Reuben was more reflective and cautious. He planned to rescue Joseph and to restore him to their father. Because no matter how miserable a father is, just about every son desires, it, and every daughter desires from their father a blessing. Reuben perhaps thought that he would rescue Joseph and restore him to their father. And since revenge on his father's cold-hearted indifference hadn't healed his woundedness, maybe Reuben could win Jacob's forgiveness and even blessing by saving Joseph. So Reuben convinced his brothers to just rough Joseph up, get his robe, and throw him into the, one of the many sinkholes that are found in the region that they were camping. And when the deed was done, they all sat around to eat dinner together. A passing caravan gave Judah, the future forefather of David and the Messiah, the bright idea to sell their brother into slavery, thus having their revenge and making a profit. So Joseph, like his father, Jacob, went into exile for some 20 years, and the brothers returned home to Jacob. They took the hated, multicolored tunic that represented everything about Joseph they hated. The person, the dreams and prophecies, their fathers loved, and they brought it back, shredded and dipped in goat's blood, and then claimed that it was all that remained of their little brother, their little brother and his dreams of glory. Jacob claimed that he would live out whatever miserable days he had left in mourning for Joseph. And meanwhile, Joseph was sold into the house of a high-ranking Egyptian officer named Potiphar. This is the family with which God would bless all the nations. And it's a wonder that God is able to do what he chooses to do with any of us. But in this case, he seemed to go out of his way to find a family that would seem most unlikely to bless each other, let alone the world. Today, some of you might be feeling like maybe jo Jacob or Joseph. They have a story to tell. That you've been bushwhacked by life. That everything was going great until all of a sudden it wasn't. Maybe, maybe you're upset because there never seems to be, uh, the good times never seem to be good enough to make up for the bad times. There always ends up to be a fly in the soup. Maybe you identify with Leah or the brothers who were despised for absolutely no reason by their father. Maybe you come from a family similar to the one that we've been describing here. Maybe something unsuspected and totally out of your control overwhelmed you. Maybe choices you made or failed to make came back to haunt you. Maybe it is some of both. Either way, you identify with Joseph, who was beaten up, or Jacob, who never seemed to get catch a break, or Leah and her sons, who were hated for no reason. It's interesting to see the comparisons and the contrasts between Joseph 
and his father Jacob. One escaped the dysfunction and the misery of this family that was so full of secrets and lies and ill will and plots and broken hearts. There are similarities and comparisons between Joseph and Jacob. One escaped, one didn't. Both ended up in exile for about 20 years because of serious family conflict in their family of origin. There are numerous similarities between both Jacob and Joseph's experience. For God to accomplish his pur purposes in these men and with these men, each man had to go through, had to be torn from the comfort zones that they had in their own worlds and ride the roller coaster of life with absolutely no say regarding whether or not their ride went up or went down. And in, like, and in that way, they're like all of us. Both felt alone and abandoned. Both had reasons to believe their life was just one big detour followed by a dead end. Some of you may be feeling that way today. You may be because of choices you've made or because of choices other people have made. Other of you may feel that way tomorrow. The only fatal error is to give up on God and to resign yourself to a life of resentment, of disappointment, revenge, rage, bitterness, or failure. If you are out walking and you're going through a mountainous region and the, uh, the edge of the trail is a drop and a danger and all of a sudden you're surrounded by fog and you can't see your way forward, if that happens to you, and you happen to have a GPS in front of you, then you keep one eye on the GPS and one eye on the next step that you are about to make. And you keep moving forward. Now faith and trust in God is a spiritual GPS. It doesn't magically transport you. It doesn't make everything safe necessarily, but it gives you guidance. You keep one eye on what you can see in front of you through the mist, and you keep another eye on the long program, on the GPS that tells you how you're going to get out of there. You keep moving forward, and faith and trust in God is a spiritual GPS. And despite all their many failures, both Jacob, in his own way, kept his eye and kept returning to God, even wrestling with him. Better than that, faith in God is a relationship and not just a roadmap. And nothing builds relational bonds better than shared life experiences, especially difficult and important shared experiences. No matter how bad things got, Neither Jacob nor Joseph were abandoned by God. Remember this. You are not alone. You 
you may feel lost. You may be lost in terms of your own understanding of what the train is about, but all is not lost. If God's face is not visible, his hand is not something you can feel on your shoulder, he still promises that his rod and staff will protect and shepherd you through the paths. Whether this mess you have created is a mess that you've created for yourself or one that others have created for you, learning to walk through it in faith with God won't make it go away. Just ask Jacob and Joseph. But it will take all the little broken threads in the fabric of your life, all the knots and the, the bundles that it's gotten into, and God will unknot them, add new fiber, and reweave your life so that it is more beautiful and stronger than it was to begin with. He will make something good out of it. It isn't quick, it isn't easy, it isn't painless, but it can become good because that is God's specialty. Don't expect that God will show you a happy ending before he requires you to trust him and to start walking. God doesn't work that way. Andy and Amy. Well, they're proof of that. There were three times that they knew the future that God had for them, that God had finally spoken, and they were ready to move on, and then all of a sudden it was just a detour and a dead end. And yet they moved forward in faith and learned to trust him. And in the end, when they, when for some reason they felt that they should feel bad about nagging God and uh, thinking that his blessing uh, was just a response to shutting them up, which it's a step that I would have skipped in my spiritual life. <laughs> Tells you about me. Uh, they look back and they realize, no, God was showing them that all of this was a commitment, an increasing commitment, not just even to the mission, not even to the people that they were ministering to, but to God himself, who was in charge of all of it and who would bring them through and bring them through to a place that bore all kinds of fruit, which is what we're looking forward to. Don't expect that God will show you a happy ending before he requires you to trust him and to take the next step. He will demand that you move forward without knowing how it is all gonna shake out. But he will be with you and he will make something good, truly good, out of your life. The second lesson comes from observing the one big contrast between Joseph and his father Jacob, and we'll learn more about that as we go on in the chapters. How one learned to forgive and one did not. Jacob was deceived and tricked by his father-in-law and Laban and also by his first wife, Leah. He never forgave Leah, and he forever lived in emotional rejection and resentment of all of her children. Now Jacob, Jacob had tricked his own brother, betrayed his own brother, and he sought and received forgiveness from Esau. But he made no such effort to give forgiveness to Leah or her children. And the repercussions in his family were terrible. And in the end, Jacob was a withered, sorry excuse for an old man who was bitter about just about everything. It robbed all of his joy and it ne nearly cost Joseph his life. 
Joseph struggled, like all of us and like his father, with forgiveness. But as we will see, he conquered the demons of bitterness and indignation. He came to understand that God had taken that which was very, very evil. And there is no, there is, Joseph, at no place did Joseph say, well, it wasn't that big a deal. That's all right. Or, or make excuses for his crazy family and his brothers. He just simply said outright, you intended evil. And it was evil. And he didn't say it sucked, but that's what he meant. He says, but God meant it for good. He gave them forgiveness. Hmm. He came to understand that God had taken that which was very, very evil in his life and rewoven it into something very, very good. If God gives us grace, our response, the response that completes the healing that God has started in us, our response must be to give grace and forgiveness as well. If God has fashioned goodness in your life, taking the cruelty and selfishness of others and reweaving every thread of your life into a new fabric that has new beauty and a strength that it didn't have before, then the one remaining thing left for you to do, if you are ever to be fully healed, is to forgive those who hurt you. Not because it didn't hurt, not because it doesn't matter, not because they deserve it, because they don't, but because God has forgiven you, God has given you a gift. And what you need to do is open up your hand and to give forgiveness. Amen. The reason Jesus linked giving forgiveness to being forgiven in the prayer that he taught all of us to pray was that a hand that is clenched around an unforgiven grudge, and I, I understand that. You can't just let go of a grudge due to an injustice to you, because when you do that, when you just let go of it and shake it off onto the ground, you are letting go of your own dignity, of your own worth, on what it, on the value of the fact that you have a right to say that you have been hurt and badly. But God doesn't ask you to just throw it away and pretend it never happened. He says to give it to him. You give him what hurts. You give him the injustice. And he never says, well, that wasn't that big a deal. He understands and respects that it was a terrible thing and an evil thing. But he takes it. And then your hand is open to receive what he would give you. Blessing. Your own forgiveness. And even enough grace to hand it as a gift to those who hurt you. If your life has led you to some cliff's edge or into some dark valley, don't give up. Reach out for the Savior's hand before you make your next step. You are not alone. Stay in prayer and seek the bread your body needs and the peace your spirit needs all from him. If God is taking hold of your life, 
if he has started to bless you despite the evil that has become part of your experience, respond to his grace by being gracious. Make the response that completes the healing work that God has started in you and forgive those who have hurt you. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we will see in this great story, that's one of the greatest stories, it, it, it is the greatest story of forgiveness in the Bible, except for the gospel itself. It is a powerful story of how even we can enter into your grace and be givers of blessing to our enemies. Lord God, help us to learn how to walk hand in hand with you, to let go of whatever we're holding on to and put, them in, put it in your hands and you will heal and you will even make us givers of blessing as well. For we ask this in Christ's name.